code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Thanks for joining us for Minute 24 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. It's day two of the week and we're in for some sword fighting for the next four episodes. So kick back with Captain Morgan and let the swashbuckling begin. (laughs) And I'm the one that talks about the grog all the time? Hey, that was for you. (laughs) She's already kicked back with the bottle and the microphone. So she's ready to go. Ready to go. In the previous... If I start slurring, no worries. (laughs) She already slurs. In the previous minute, Will Turner and Captain Jack Sparrow managed to introduce themselves with a little sword action in the John Brown blacksmith shop. If you were ever longing for introduction by swords, then minute 23 was for you. Jack slaps Will's hand with the blade of his sword as he reaches for his hat, and Will holds Jack at sword point in his first attempt to prevent Jack from escaping. Unfortunately, our minute ended just before Jack could finish his thought regarding Will's citizen's arrest. (laughs) Minute 24 begins with Jack finishing his line by saying, Crossing blades with a pirate, to which Will responds, You threaten Miss Swan, as Jack rubs the blade of his sword back and forth along that of Will Turner's and says, Only a little. The minute ends with Will Turner throwing his sword to block the escape of Jack, successfully and precisely sticking the sword in the door, preventing the drop bar from opening and keeping Jack from exiting the blacksmith shop. I guess they did throw swords at the walls. That they did. (laughs) Heather spoiled it in the last minute for you guys. Sorry about that. This is a door, not a wall. And now that I've actually was re-looking at this, you know, these recaps for both the minutes, I'm really starting to think, boy, there's a lot of double entendres in there. And that was purely accidental. (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. I need to get my mind out of the gutter, obviously. But what we did find is that it... His phrase had nothing to do with Aragorn or Lord of the Rings, nothing to do with Zorro, no. nothing to do with Princess Bride, and definitely nothing to do with his sore, syphilis, whatever we want to call it, his roving, getting bigger mark on his <laughs> on his face. So I guess that's a phew for Jack Sparrow. <laughs> so I think um, in this minute that Jack is testing Will to see how much he really knows about sword fighting. Yeah, it's an interesting take. And, you know... Yeah. And I threw him off. Well, because I, you know, I think that is as well. And, you know, I gotta, I'm got i going to look for my notes on that because we're, we're jumping to that part. Yeah, uh, sorry. When I first saw this scene in, in, in seeing Jack, I thought kind of the same thing too. Or that Jack was just patronizing Will with all this talk about footwork and swordmanship. Or, you know, was it just some kind of crazy dialogue that Jack was using to try and get into Will's head? You know, that he couldn't beat Jack or he's a seasoned pirate. But then when I started to really watch how the scene unfolded, mm-hmm. I think it turns out it was just all a part of Jack's plan to lead Will to put him in a position where he could escape. Oh, okay. So yeah. he's starting to do this pirate dance, this sword fight yeah. training and talking about all these different moves. And we get a shot of their footwork. We, it zooms in on that. Jack is doing it. And they're starting to, if you look, they're starting to rotate their positions. Mm-hmm. 
the idea is that Jack wants to, again, this comes back to the whole pirates like to use threats or cunning to, or the cunningness to be able to, to get out of a situation without having to actually fight, which right. could hurt them or something. So the whole idea is the threats are using their intellect, if you will, to actually benefit themselves. So they start to swivel. So Will ends up no longer being between him and the door. Right. I think that that's maybe what was in his mind. Because I don't yeah. know. But either that, you know, because I, I thought the same thing. He's like trying to teach him something or he's trying to, you know, make him think that he's not going to be as good as Jack as a pirate. Because he already says... We're really going to do that? You know, kind yeah. of one of these where re- you're really going to cross blades with a pirate? Yeah. Part of all this mental game that he plays, too. So Jack is really this person who actually uses not just his, say, brawn and his skills, his sword fighting skills or his physical skills, but he also uses mental skills as well to, to yeah. get what he wants. Now, I did think that um, he was trying to test him to see how much he knew. But now that you mentioned about him turning, dan- doing the dance and turning him around... Yeah, I I do believe now that it was all to just get to the door. But I think that also you make a good point about that is that because it it comes back to the mental game is he's trying to like maybe throw him off like, hey, you don't know this. And maybe he was also fishing for something that that Will didn't know or to throw him off. Yeah. Like maybe it was trying to come off like, okay, you... You may be skilled at sword, you know, uh, sword fighting as well, but I am too, and I'm so good that I'm going to teach you or tell you about it. So you, oh, you know this move too. Yeah. So that may be part of it. If we try to get back to actually on track before Heather likes to just jump ahead in some kind of chaotic butterfly manner, and if you don't, I mean, you don't know her, but I do routinely call her a butterfly, and it's not because of the gracefulness. No, it's not because of the daintiness or. Or Graceful. gracefulness or any of that. It's because butters, butterflies fly erratically. It's like they, they're trying to fly their hardest in a straight line. It just doesn't happen. That's Heather. My train of thought is erratic. Yeah, it really is. It's like, oh my God, it's like a shotgun blast. <laughs> a sawed-off shotgun blast. So we're not even talking a focused shot blast here. We're talking that you saw it off so it just the spread just opens up. And that's her. So if we could actually get back driving this minute as in seconds go and progress, we can talk about Jack Sparrow here. And he gets this very intense look on his face. And we started to talk about this last minute. It's this seriousness when he realizes that Will is not going to back down. But it's the same turn we saw in the dock when talking with Norrington. And then when he grabs Elizabeth with a handcuff chain around her neck, everything is a bit happy and innocent. Not sure those are necessarily the correct words we should use with a pirate, but he is going to be, you know, he's this kind of easygoingness, or he has this easygoingness, so to speak. But when he's pushed against the wall, he gets this really serious tone, and... It's no longer I, a game. Yeah, he needs to do it. It is no longer yeah. a game. It's like, I'm not playing around. Don't push me any further. Now we're going to have we're gonna have words, or we're going to have sword battles against this, or I'm going to try some daring escape, or I'm going to hurt somebody you might care about. So, yeah. you know, just let me go. Yeah, that's how I, I kind of see that it really is. And I think that's what's neat about it is that we're seeing this personality trait in Jack in multiple situations. It's not just something that comes up like once. It's a it's not a one off. It really is ingrained in his personality that we have seen so far. And we've only had a few minutes really with Jack yeah. so far. You know, we really haven't had all that much uh, really with him. So we are seeing this already kind of recurring theme, if you will, uh, with Jack and his character. And this leads me, I think, to my most important part of the minute. Heather's already smiling here in the studio. And I don't even know if she knows where I'm going with this. But she's already laughing and she doesn't even know where I'm going. You know, it is funny and it is a laughing matter. 
So what I want to talk about is the Wall of Horrors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's insane. If you haven't seen it, and I tell you, I didn't notice this stuff until I started doing a minute-by-minute minute breakdown. But yes, Heather is right. It is a laughing matter. And this just really goes to show you how black-hearted and, and you know, black marks on her soul and how twisted <laughs> she really is. But obviously, like John Brown, Heather is like John Brown here, that she must have been contracted or he must have been contracted with the Governor Swan or Norrington or England to produce some crazy weapons and some <laughs> torture devices. Now, Heather aside, I know that she really is into torture devices. What? But I saw a couple of creepy iron masks, a spiked collar, the top or head of a piece to the to a gibbet. And remember that in previous minutes. Go back and listen to that. It's the, you know, where they would hang pirates in this kind of metal cage, if you will. A couple of long-handled execution axes. And, of course, a mace. Nothing rounds out your collection like a mace or a mace with chain is actually what it really is. So, Heather, how's your collection of iron masks and chains and maces and spike collars? In the basement, it's all good. (laughs) Nobody's allowed to go in the basement. This isn't Fifty Shades of Grey Minute here, Heather. Jesus. Let's calm down over there, Heather. No Fifty Shades of Grey Minute. You guys are in the right area. This is Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. (laughs) His weren't in a basement. They were in a room, actually. Hey, I don't know, and I don't want to (laughs) know. See? She's into it. She knows. (laughs) No. No, It's too late. You can't go back. And this is on the air. It's out there. But anyways. This is just bad. This is a family-friendly podcast. This is bad. It's a family-friendly show. Everybody's okay with it. Oh, no. Just cover your kids' ears. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you heard that afterwards. Sorry about that, everyone. Anyways, we see the iron mask back there. These iron masks, man, they were crazy. Yeah. All they had was like a mouth and eyes, I think. It reminds me of the Man in the Iron Mask movies. It looks just like that. Yeah. So, of course, torture devices. Usually you'd think that that would be in Heather's domain after what we've talked about. But I actually did some research on this kind of stuff. I did some research on the mask. Well, then hit me with what you I have. I didn't find a whole lot, actually. I found I found Man in the Iron Mask. Well, of course, And I yeah. found the real life and Man in the Iron Mask. That's but right. that's the only reference I could find of using an Iron Mask. Well, so yeah, you brought a up real, the Man in the Iron life. Mask, and then there was a real life person, and I can't think yeah. of his name right now. Uh, I don't recall. I don't recall, and right I, I do remember reading about it recently. Actually, it turns out that there has been, within the past year or so, some new evidence that came out about the actual Man in the Iron Iron Mask, yeah. and they were saying this actually isn't in my notes, so I'm trying to pull this from memory after reading about this. So bear with me on this that there's some facts that are wrong, but I believe it is pretty good. I'm just tooting my own horn <laughs> yeah. on that one. Yeah, I just said that for my own benefit. I go, oh yeah, because I winked to myself. On your own. <laughs> I, pat, I patted myself on the back and grabbed my shoulder and said, oh yeah, you're awesome, Scott. Anyways. From what I read is there there was actually some research done on it. So they have identified who they the scholars think that this actually this guy was and they believe he was a valet for somebody now and I can't remember what the king or something. Maybe some embezzling or something that that got him in trouble. But the the real point is is that there wasn't actually an iron mask. He wore a mask at some points, but it wasn't something he had to wear all the time and when he did wear a mask, it was a velvet mask. Huh. So it really wasn't. So this is just kind of goes to show you how things and Things change or stories develop off of a you know a true instance and it gets exaggerated over time. Where I was really going, and, and Heather's right, there's not a lot of information on the subject, which you think Iron Mask would definitely have yeah. a lot of information about that. Apparently, there was an Iron Mask in the Tower of London. It was a display. And 
It was something that actually maybe came up and started to be displayed in the 18th century, I believe. But the 19th century? Now I'm now this is where my facts get a little lost. But anyways, that they had a this iron mask, and it really is a creepy one, like the ones we see on the wall. But they went a step further with the creepiness of this thing. This one actually had a painted toothy smile on it. Seriously? Yeah. So I mean, I'm talking if, if it really was some kind of torture device or something. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. So anyways, this particular iron smiley mask, if we want to call it that, apparently was labeled as an executioner's mask in the Tower of London in this display. But at one point in the 1970s, actually, it was said to be a Victorian fake. And then it was authenticated again. Like, no, it really was a mask of the time period. So according to the Royal Armories, yeah, I'm diving in. <laughs> it is said it's a rather gruesome. So this is their description of it. It's. It's a rather gruesome painted iron mask from the 17th or 18th centuries. It is made of three plates, roughly constructed with openings for the eyes, nostrils, and mouth. In the 19th century, it was displayed at the tower alongside a block and axe as an executioner's mask. However, it really is unlikely that the executioner would have worn an iron mask like this. So even though in the 19th century it was labeled as an executioner's mask, scholars are saying no, they re they really wouldn't have worn a mask like that. The more probable explanation is that it was once part of a scold's bridle or a brank, which were devices, and so this gets into where Heather's territory about torture devices and, and punishments and stuff, which were devices used in the punishment of men and women for minor offenses. Their most popular use is said to have been to punish scolds and gossips. You know, so Heather, when she's out gossiping, she gets caught for it by the magistrates and the governors of the time. She gets put in this weird iron mask. And so they usually consisted of a form of a muzzle and a metal framework designed to effectively and painfully prevent the wearer from talking and shame them in the public by making them conspicuous. So you'd walk around with this this crazy mask on, this iron mask is a form of punishment for wow. gossiping and, you know, that kind of Was stuff. Was it more like strappy type of thing? Because I've kind of seen something that had kind of like straps well, on it. Yeah, so that it was It wasn't something... like a full iron. It wasn't like what we see in here. It was that's more strap That's like... what the Scold's Bridle is, is. Okay. Is so they're saying it was once part of the Scold's Bridle. And so there was different forms of what you were just saying. But it would have metal straps. So yeah. it was fixed to the head. But the main part for those was really around the mouth. Okay. So if you saw, if that just got muddled, it's because I was actually trying to cover my mouth while talking. And, and, and I'm, it's like I'm trying to show you guys, like we're on video here, what this was doing. But actually, it really had kind of these metal straps that would go around the head. And then it would have this piece that would fit over the mouth, as I just said, that would often have some kind of pieces on it to help prevent you from like some spikes or something to make it painful to talk. Okay, I've seen, I've seen pictures of those. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's what they're thinking is that this was something similar to that or part of one of these. Okay. Uh, and and that's kind of the history of it. So it has this weird turn. So, the, But there really wasn't a lot about Iron Mask, no. which is interesting because of the history of the book, that there was somebody who you know supposedly had an iron or velvet mask, if we want to call that, but there's not a lot of information out there just because it wasn't something that was real prevalent, apparently. Yeah. Except for maybe in these types of punishments. So let's go on to something a bit more awesome, and that's execution axes. Goodness. Two patterns of axes were also used. The pattern used in Britain, which was developed from the traditional woodsman axe, has a blade about 1 foot 8 inches high by 10 inches wide with a 5 foot long handle. And you see these lined up. There's two of them that are lined up on that back wall that yeah. are under the mask. And then we have a mason chain. And I think you, hopefully you know it's, it's kind of that stick, or maybe it's a, a wooden stick or a metal stick, depending on which type. And it had a ball or a spike yeah. ball on the end. 
But a mace and chain would be, you know, basically it's the same thing, except that spiked ball is at the end of a chain. And it's more commonly known as a ball and chain. Right. And so you can enter your gratuitous joke about Heather here. Again? <laughs> it's, the day of, it's the day of making fun of Heather. Goodness. It's okay, ball and chain. It's okay. I think you're my ball and chain. Radio edit. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to edit that out. I have to drag you around all over the place. I think it's time we now move on from torture, if you don't mind. <laughs> We're getting out of torture. So now that we got out of torture talk, tor- <laughs> today's torture talk, sponsored by... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we can get this torture talk out of the way. And again, my faux expertise in antique arms and armories has just shown through with all this torture talk and all these things. So i just like to say, pretty soon, I am really going to have a, you know, a, a, like a master's degree in... You know, of my own mind. It's like uh, my own training, my own schooling. Yes. In my own mind, I will have a master's degree in antique arms and armory soon. But I think we should really talk about... Can we go to love? Okay, go to love. For a moment. I mean, we've already... We talked just about torture advice. Now you want to jump to love? (laughs) To love. It's it's much... It's like... Fifty Shades of Grey-ish again? (laughs) So, Will is engaging in this combat with um, Jack... Because he threatened Miss Swan, right? Yeah. So if Jack didn't threaten Miss Swan, would Will actually be fighting him? Jeez, existential questions you got here. But <laughs> I think that he would. And I think that it gets back to Will's character as being this good moral person. And he hates pirates. We've established he hates pirates. I think that was just one more thing. Like, you know, I'm going to go all out because you threatened Miss Swan. But I think he would still try to hold Jack prisoner under a citizen's arrest just because he's a pirate. Okay. So that's that's kind of my take on it. So it didn't it 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 wouldn't matter if if Elizabeth was involved or not. I don't think so. Or would he go more? Did he did he do more because Elizabeth I was think, involved? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think he would have maybe tried to stop him, but would he? Would Will have gone? So far as to maybe put his life in danger more so than he already did. Maybe if Jack is not going to say pick up this, you know, pick up a sword. Maybe they're, if they're not going to sword fight, yeah. You know, maybe it would have just it would just end there, and we don't know where the minute's going or what's going to happen in the next minute that they actually do pick up sword fighting. I, I think that Will is going to take things the extra step because Elizabeth is involved, as opposed to maybe just saying, uh, you know, okay. You know, if you're going to stay here because I have you at my sword point, then then all is good. And I'll yell for help and, and bring in the cavalry. Yeah. But I think he's going to take, he thinks he's going to take it a little bit further because Elizabeth because is Elizabeth. involved. Yeah. And he's just protecting her. Yeah. And notice that he even says Miss Swan to, to Jack. So not even in an informal situation does Will yeah. say... Elizabeth. He actually says Miss Swan. Yeah. And so he's still in that formality mode. Like if it's as long as it, if it's under his breath, he'll say Elizabeth. But if it's to anybody else, it's Miss Swan. So he yeah. really is that upstanding, you know, go by the social conventions, social code person. Yeah. I know before you wanted you jump to love, and so I don't know if you have any more on love in no. this, but I, you know, I did want to get back to weapons for a second. But we went to love. I that know, ends but the weapons. Love is like a sword to the heart. <laughs> but you did got you, that right. <laughs> did you notice the sword that Will throws at the door? Obviously, he has this handy ability, you know, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. If I do say so myself, oh, yeah. to th- to be able to throw a sword like that. I've only done it twice in my <laughs> life. I've d- I've tried it five times. 
I've done it twice. The other ones didn't really work out. This sucker stuck. <laughs> well, really it, good. Man, it's like he's practicing three hours a day yeah, or something against the walls. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not a shiny blade, and it doesn't. It's not sharpened. It doesn't look sharpened except maybe the point. But it's not shiny, and and I'm assuming it's the quality of the metal. But it looks like this cheap metal that you'd see in products or you know some kind of thing. So I don't know if you have any information or if you've done any I research. Did, on... I did read something about. Thank this. God, because I couldn't do it all. <laughs> and it does have to do with the uh, metal of the day and all the imperfections in it. Yeah. And just normal swords uh, wouldn't be all shiny and smooth. They because it would take more work. More forging and more huh. hammering and more work to make them all shiny and smooth. So the only ones that were really shiny and smooth like that were like Norrington's or the that type see. of so, sword. Yeah, something. Otherwise, they were all that kind of quality. For, for high, so basically, yeah. the average soldier was probably not getting a shiny sword. No, necessarily. it was just like this one where. It's well, Jax of, isn't. Well, have we seen Jax sword? Yeah, because Norrington kind of, pulls yeah. it out of the sheath. And yeah. and it is kind of and we described it as a rusty type of sword, yeah. so his wasn't necessarily that shiny either. No. I think we've been all jaded by Hollywood movies of pirate movies that their swords are always shiny, and this is what swords of the time look like. Yeah. So obviously, it's a bit different in reality. So I'm glad they kind of added some realism to that. And with the you know after pulling it out of the forge, it can oxidize really quickly. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so they have to be very careful pulling it out of the forge. And the cooling process, because it will oxidize really quickly. They, they've they used, oh, I forget the name of it, the metal used when plumbing to solder stuff. I forget the name of it. But they use that to um, put on the blade huh. to help with the oxidation on there. So everybody out there who's trying to forge their own swords and make their own swords better take up this advice and make sure you carefully, <laughs> carefully remove it and be, you know try to reduce the oxidation on that. Yeah. Because they would take more work to make them shiny and pretty. I see. So yeah, yeah. so that was something I, I just really almost couldn't take my eyes off that sword and that scene. And I thought maybe where they were doing it because they didn't want the reflection of like the camera crew in the yeah. sword when it was right there. Maybe that's part of it too, but maybe. it seems like there's some real, or at least it's based in realism. But I thought maybe they don't, yeah, they don't want the cam- us looking and seeing like the cameraman and everybody off the screen right there. So that's pretty cool they did that. But what I did notice is when that sword really stops that drop bar from opening the door yeah we're seeing jack starting to get frustrated oh yeah (laughs) i I have it's like the handcuff thing all over again (laughs) he's throwing his fit again (laughs) yeah so he really start. it's the same thing with the handcuffs and i thought okay that's a one-off so now we're actually seeing that the writers have put in some stuff in jack's character and we're seeing these come back so it's not just one-offs but this is who he is yeah it's a nice personality trait, and I, do, I really do like that consistency uh, that we're seeing here, thanks to the writers on that. So it's good. It really helps make that realistic, because you've seen it before, and that's what helps establish that realism. Yeah. We should take note on the sword throwing here uh, for f- potentially future minutes. Potentially. I'm just <laughs> guessing. We may see the same kind of creativity in this this good personality and establishing what characters can do as opposed to making one-offs that you go, is that really something that's believable? Because when Jack does the handcuff thing, you're, we talked about how, okay, may, is that really believable or is it something like for me who gets frustrated would do something stupid like that? Like I really can bust those chains with my brute strength. So I, I think that's pretty interesting. But I like how we're we're seeing that character development and that buildup. Yeah. So I can't really wait to see where this unfolds. And I'm not talking about 
if he escapes or not. I'm just talking about the frustration. I just want to see what happens in the next minute. Yeah, how, how far he takes the frustration level in minute 25. Did you know that each if each man was equally matched in a sword fight, fatigue would become the deciding factor? Oh, you're kidding, huh? Yeah. I can see that actually, then they though. Just, the, Somebody's going to get tired. Whoever gets tired quickest is going to end up making the mistake, and then yeah. they're going to lose a hand. Yeah. So I found that, that little fact kind of interesting. You are my father. Luke is not his father. <laughs> Heather, man. I said you said Luke, and I said you are my father. Luke. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I said it wrong. <laughs> Luke, I am I your am father. father. So if Thank they're both equally matched, we're gonna see probably Jack or Will lose a hand. Then they drop their lightsaber down into Bespin. I sure hope Cloud not. City. That'd well, be sad. it's possible. It's possible. Okay, I have one more little fact. Well, don't announce it. Just hit it with us. <laughs> Orlando Bloom's character shares the name of a real-life Captain William Thomas Turner. He was born in uh, 1856 and died in 1933. Did they name the character after him then, I wonder? They took a real pirate name? A real and... life, yeah. Was those a pirate, actually? He's he was, named after he pirate or captain? Oh, captain. RMS Lusitania. Oh, interesting. At least he wasn't a pirate, because that would be really ironic if the writers named him after a pirate. He <laughs> hates pirates, but they're like, ha, let's name him after a pirate. <laughs> oh, pretty cool. The Lusitania. I wonder yeah. if that's... Is that the Lusitania, that the famous Lusitania? I'm not sure. I didn't look into it that much. Sorry. Well, I guess we'll just leave it there. We'll leave you guys with... Eh, I don't know if it's the Lusitania or not, because if we've established... Yes, some- it is. <laughs> <laughs> Heather's making stuff up because as we know from when we were talking about some pirate ships or when we saw the Port Royal bill of entry and I was going through some of the pirate names and looking at that some of these ship names can go back hundreds and hundreds of years that they've used the same ship name and we see that today that you know new versions of ships will have names that that there's you know previous ships have also been named such names so I don't know mm-hmm. if the Lusitania is one of those or not it'll be interesting to to find out and look up as much as it pains me to say this we're going to end on that note, uh, you know, and I had torture and I had all these things that we could have ended on, but no, we have to end on this kind of more happier note. And it's just a little, it doesn't have the same feel for me. I always like to go away a little depressed, but we'll just go from there and let all you guys be happy out there. So don't forget to leave us a comment, ask a question or share your thoughts and theories. Give us a ring and leave a message at 8637PIRATE. So go ahead and dial that up and leave us a voicemail. Send an email to podcast at blackpearlminute.com or hit us up on social media. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 25 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling and our special edition sword fighting to a minimum. for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.